Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. And this is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan Read the Paper on Sunday, May 8th, 2022. Okay. Still so 2022. Right. Right? Right, right. No, absolutely correct. Unfortunately, Pepper is not with us today. Well, she's not. It's Mother's Day. Okay. Right. And uh, Happy Mother's Day. Oh, ha- maybe you should say that to me. Happy Mother's Day, honey. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Well, you know, you were you've already gotten uh, Mother's Day greetings. I'm happy to say from all three of your children. Yeah. And you have been communicating uh, with your grandchildren, both of them, already today. So you know, you're totally uh, getting everything out of the holiday, as far as I can tell. Am I right? Everything. <laughs> well, you know, everything. Maybe I'll get dinner, but you know, besides <laughs> that. Uh, you know, I was okay. So it's been a busy week because yes. I mean, it was May the Fourth be with you. Yeah, it was Cinco de Mayo. Yes, and what was it? Stinko de Mayo. Stinko. I'll get to okay. that. Stinko and, de Mayo. And um, then it was also Free Comic Book yeah, you Day told me on May seventh. I just read about, and I did not get a free comic book. Um, and and now we're you know. We're here on Mother's well, Day, I'm just so gonna, it's been non-stop well, on Mother's celebration. Day, I just want to make one observation. I figured out, they had to do a lot of research for this, but this would have been, my mother, who has since passed, she would have celebrated her first Mother's Day 70 years ago today. 70 years ago? Yeah. Well, that's a long time. Yeah. All right. And Mother's Day is okay. I, I appreciate the... The flowers and the tributes, mm-hmm. but I as I've said every year that we've had this podcast, many times as a young mother, Mother's Day turned out to be the worst day. Everybody threw up at once. Oh, really? You no, know, uh, or just you know, it was really. I would always on the day before Mother's Day, I would think, oh, this is great. You know, uh, somehow I'll get five minutes to myself. I'll put my feet up. Dan yeah. will take over everything. Yeah. And it would just be, it wouldn't even be your fault. It would just be, forces were so beyond the pale. You know, huh. I was working harder I'm, than ever. I'm so, glad you got that point in about So me. I don't, you know, I don't. Not uh, my fault. But I don't have a, romantic views No one's throwing up today. I'm feeling Every fun. day is I, I think we're, it's smooth sailing. But well, we were busy because we had uh, a visitor. Visitor, sure. Um, my friend Cindy Wilson from North Carolina, all the way up from Durham. Mm-hmm. She came, mm-hmm. and uh, she had been one of my first employees at the Cranberry Food Sampler right. and we were... many, many years ago. And, and a good friend. And, and a good uh, friend. Uh, it was good to see Cindy. And uh, and catch up. There were catch... many years to catch up on. Right. And she... It's just one of those things. We, you know, we occasionally exchange Christmas cards, but we haven't really been in touch. And out of the blue, she said, I'm coming to see you. And she did. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, she came at a sort of good time. It's beautiful around here. Things are just blooming, you know, crab apple trees, lilacs, etc. But it it was unspeakably cold and rainy the yeah. whole time. Well she didn't she catch was any here. good weather. But she'll get that in North Carolina. So we, we ended up She has uh, more we, heat than she can handle. We talked a lot and we exchanged a lot of um uh, recommendations about books and uh um Movies and shows and, you know, so, and restaurants, foods, etc. So, but more about that later. Yes. But, uh, All right. So, a, we, had, we had a great time with Cindy. Yeah. We were reminiscing also about the time that we took her kids and ours to uh, The Little Mermaid on the day it opened. So, you can all yeah. look that up. 
uh, that, which was that a was a revelation. A great movie. Yeah. And everybody loved it. it was, uh, we were astonished. And that... Cindy volunteered to babysit the baby, who was? Baby Zeke. Baby Zeke. Too young. Too young for the Little Mermaid. A little sophisticated for Zeke. But uh, he's seen it since, I'm sure. Yeah, he was like six months old or something. Yeah. So, um, all right. So we rushed back uh, yesterday from babysitting duty. And uh, because... In the, in the North Country. Yeah, in the North Country. Because you somehow figured out, using your telephone, that if we uh, basically broke the law by going 20 miles an hour of the speed limit for the last 15 miles, we would get home just in time to watch the Kentucky Derby. And uh, I was thinking the whole time, holding on to the edge of my seat, yeah. is this really worth it? <laughs> well, you had the right guy behind the wheel. It was like the Indy 500. Uh, but we I'm surprised home. you totally forgot about the Kentucky Derby. I, I forgot about it, but then I thought we missed I, Every anyway. year, you, you usually remember at about lunchtime at the latest. Uh, we were destined to be in the car, I thought. So, but we got to see it, and it was a derby for the ages, as yes. they like to say. We were all screaming, even Cindy. I, I'm not even sure Cindy's Cindy ever screaming? watched it. Yeah, at the very at the last few, uh, uh, we yes. That's see, that's the thing about the derby. It draws in people who aren't necessarily necessarily horse racing fans. It's the most exciting two minutes in sports, as they like to say. And what was striking about it was the horse. The horse that won the race was Rich Strike, and Rich Strike was the longest of long shots. A horse that was 80 to 1, that was not even uh, enrolled uh, in the race, was not even eligible to race until uh, less than 24 hours before when another horse scratched and this horse was let in as a late entrant. Uh, And uh, the race was shaping up where the literally the first two favorites, the the favorite and the second favorite, were going to finish 1-2. And then this horse... Rich Strike comes flying in from the rail and wins the race. Uh, the biggest uh, upset in the, in the, the Derby uh, since 1913. Um, and the question is, how did that happen? It was very exciting, but how did that happen? And I, I was a little prepped on the race because I talked to my brother Michael beforehand, and he had let me know that uh, Epicenter and Zandone were the horses to watch, the favorite and the second favorite. And he might even have put money on. Who knows? Michael's capable of such things. But mm-hmm. uh, no one heard of this horse. Uh, so, so you know, what's the logical explanation for this? I mean, the horse paid $163 if you put a $2 bet on him. By the way, by winning, the horse took in $1.86 million for his owners. I miss the horse. <laughs> you know. Was bought for thirty thousand dollars a few no months. No wonder ago. they were crying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The exacta paid the exacta where you took the first two finishers paid forty one hundred dollars. The trifecta first three finishers for a one dollar bet fifteen thousand dollars. So if you knew that, you you would have. But you couldn't know that. So I've been reading about it today and how do people uh, react to this? And usually, what happens in a situation like this, people say, you know, when you think about it in retrospect, we should have been on this horse. Because if you look at, you know, the way he was training, if you look at the way he, his last few races, he was coming on. Okay? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I heard someone on the, uh, on the radio today say, I would have, you know, before betting this horse, I would have bet on Mr. Ed to win this race. <laughs> at least Mr. Ed would have said to me, oh, I have a good race in me today or something like that. Yeah. There is no reason, no reason in the wide, wide world to bet this horse. And, and then they, another point people made in this connection is when you look at an overhead of the race, 
coming into the final turn, you have mm-hmm. a sense of the final turn. It's, yes. There's 30 seconds say. left in the race, right? He was in 17th place. <laughs> Even that late, there are 16 horses in front of him when they go into the final mm-hmm. turn. He could have as easily come in last as first. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So I told you I had a theory about this, and my theory is is this. Well, there are two parts. One that I think everyone accepts is that the pace was unbelievably fast. And when you have an unbelievably fast pace, other horses get screwed up because they try to stay with the pace a little more than they should, and they tire. So So it's not... So you need... The horse that has the best chance to win is a closer who has been not paying too close attention to that pace, okay? (laughs) That's point one. But my point two is this. This is the only insight I can add to this. I don't think this horse was trying to win the race, okay? Because when you're that far out of it, and then your chances are so long, and you're really a nothing horse. Even if you come in fourth, it's mm-hmm. a huge deal. A mm-hmm. huge deal. Mm-hmm. So he's not watching the leader ever. Mm-hmm. He's just saying, I just want to have a respectable race. I want to have something that the owner would be proud of. People won't laugh at him for bringing this horse to the race. Maybe he comes in seventh out of 21. Not so bad. All right? Mm-hmm. That pays off here. Because he's just running however he, you know, they're pacing him. They're not worrying. They're not pushing him. And suddenly at the end, everybody starts falling away. And they say, well, this horse hasn't run yet. Here we go. And he goes by the other horses like he's standing still. So that's why I think he had a chance because he wasn't trying to win the race. That's my theory. You know, take it for what it's worth. Well, I think he was going after that pony that he ends up biting (laughs) on the way out. I I think (laughs) he must have noticed... See, that, that's gone viral. At some point. People say that's gone well, viral. It was just so weird. Well, I think, well just so we're clear, at the end of the race, they pull them up. Usually they have a little uh, pony uh, that comes by. There's a name for it. I don't know what it is. And was, they sort of sidle up to him and calm him down, whatever. And he's biting and this pony. Escort him yeah, back. He's all over this pony. He's jumping on top of him. So uh, Biting away. Well, the worst theory is people say, does that mean he was hopped up on drugs? And we all hope that's not the case. But uh, weird. Totally Weird. All right. So uh, I, I skipped something already. You know, we, we saw some films. Uh, we saw well, some, on the uh, on the plane. So the last the last podcast we did was while we were still mm-hmm. in California, and right. then we hopped on the plane. Yeah. And uh, you know, another uh, five hours to be watching uh, movies, mm-hmm. and we both watched Belfast. Belfast, which was really good. Which was really good. Yeah. So that's black a, and white. Black and white, this was fine. Uh, they pulled the sort of a, a Wizard of Oz color to black and white opening mm. scene, if you recall correctly. It's very arty. Uh, Kenneth Branagh movie, wrote it and, and directed it. Uh, starring uh, Jamie Dornan, who we saw uh, in The Tourist recently. Uh, Katrina Balf, who we've seen in Outlander. Judy Dench and Kieran Hines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last two, Judy and Kieran, as the grandparents mm-hmm. of the child who's nominally at the center of all the action, his childhood in Belfast during the critical time. Do you have the time. kid's name? I don't have the kid's name. Because, you know, you don't, rude. you don't do that with the kids. This is, you know, you want to protect them. You know, these child actors have a tough time. <laughs> he was very good. He was very good. He was cute. And he really seemed like 1950s all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I liked it. I especially liked uh, Judy Dench and Kieran Hines. Yeah. Uh, as the grandparents, because we're grandparents, we like that kind of thing. But they <laughs> they had a wonderful relationship, and they were funny. Uh, and if anything, in my mind, they they, they lent uh, a real gravitas to the movie more than any other characters, honestly. Right. 
And it wasn't too, it was heartwarming and heart-wrenching, but it wasn't sappy, I thought. And uh, I I did enjoy right. it. And it's not like they went for the happy ending or anything like that. It was a slice of life. Um, so Yeah, it was a bittersweet ending. Yeah, it's a bittersweet so, ending. Uh yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that didn't get talked up more for Best Picture. I really yeah. am. It got put aside. I'm not sure why. There must be a reason. Surely there's a reason. Uh, it's beyond my ken. But uh, it's probably as good a movie as we've seen uh, from that field. Right. And it, uh, not that you need to know what it's about, but it's about uh, um, tension between right. uh, Catholics and Protestants. Yeah, the Troubles. In, in Belfast. The, the troubles, troubles, as we like to call them. Yeah. As they know. But not everybody knows what the Troubles are. You know, uh, with my Irish background, I am named Danny. That's true. They did play Danny Boy at one point. Remember the woman sang Danny Boy? Right. Right. It always it's like something. an anthem. Yeah. Well, yeah. it sort of is. So, all right. So you saw another movie besides. I watched a movie called Falling for Figaro. And I don't even know why I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I sort of feel like I gave my sort of, um, energy to Belfast. And I just wanted something light that would right. pass the rest of the time. And so uh, I turned I turned on this rom-com, uh, Falling for Figaro, about uh, a woman who wants to be an opera star. And uh, uh, she's, she's like a financial analyst. Yes, right? she's yeah. a super successful right. financial um, person in living in England. She's yeah. an American. And... Uh, She's about to get a huge promotion, and she just says, you know what? I want to sing in the opera. I'm going to get myself a teacher and, you know. As one does. Make that happen. Right. And so, I mean, it's it's just, it's so formulaic, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And yet, it was enjoyable. And um, it's made by Daniel uh, Lewin, an Australian director. I don't know anything about him. Uh, but the star... Uh, the female lead was Danielle McDonald, who's Australian, and uh, she was also in the, in the tourist, tourist yeah. uh, she series. Was the, she was the bumbling. She's the leading um, female in the tourist. Yeah, yeah, she was the the bumbling police officer. Right. You know, just trying to figure out how to be a police officer and you know save everybody's lives. Uh, and then uh, also in it was Joanna Lumley. Oh yeah, she's well known. English she's actress. The fabulous, yeah, absolutely the absolute fabulous, fabulous yeah. person. And, Comedic actress. And uh, and then the male lead was somebody named Hugh Skinner. Probably Australian. He's been in, in a miscellaneous things like Fleabag and okay. and stuff. Um, but anyway, it it uh, it had uh, you know it had she you know. Danielle McDonald did not sing, mm-hmm. you know, she was... Well, someone like, sang for someone her. Someone sang for her. Sang. So there was lots of opera music in the right. show, and uh, it was it was fun. It gets mediocre reviews. Even at um, Rotten Tomatoes, it's like from the audience, it gets mm-hmm. like a 72. Um, I, and I think it's just so formulaic. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it was really, you know, beautiful Scottish... Uh, Scenery, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know, if you're looking for some fun, well, you did better and, than some, me. and some opera, um, I Falling for Figaro is pretty pleasant. Yeah, I flailed around till I found the Met game. I was watching the Met game live on an airplane, which is unbelievable. Yeah, I thought that was weird because I could see that the guy, you know, in front of me was watching the Met game, and I could see you weren't, and I just, I, I didn't understand it, but I wasn't going to get involved. I, I caught up with it. I got you know, it. I didn't want to be critical. Yeah, I know that's the last thing. The tense moment in the um, 
flight was when I nudged you um, to get up. Yeah. Because the guy next to me, right. against, you know, by the window wanted yeah. to get out. Yeah. And you turned around and you said, where are you going? And, and the poor guy said, the poor guy turns to you and goes, yeah, to the bathroom. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I said to I you, to, I was talking I to you. To, yes, but he thought you were talking to him. Yeah, well, and it was a little tense there. Get out of here. It's, I don't, I, I said, don't intimidate anybody. He said he serious. was talking to me. Exactly. You can go anywhere exactly. you want. Feel free. Take your time. You're not coming back, but you know, <laughs> we're not getting up a second time. You know, you're always kind of putting Listen, me that's what in the, the bad spot. The there. problem with uh, watching a sports event when you're in, the, you know, you don't, you get, you can't leave the uh, the scene of action there, and it gets awkward for your surrounding passengers. There was a time we were on a plane where they showed a um, football playoff game, a very famous football playoff game between San Diego and Cincinnati. It was the game in which the temperatures were the coldest of all time, and went into several overtimes. And uh, people, the game wasn't over when the plane landed. People wouldn't leave the plane. <laughs> what was the screen still on? Yeah, but that was the old days where they had a big screen. Oh, just and everybody's watching one big screen. So they, you know, you're taking a chance. All right. So you had an article on uh, watering lawns. We're not watering lawns anymore, right? Is that the deal? Well, in Las Vegas, there's a law against it. State law passed uh, last year. Yeah. That said um, that you know uh, non-functional lawns gotta go. And uh, they will reimburse you about three dollars a square foot for having it, uh, you know, cut up and uh, carted away. This your turf. It, it eats up too much water. Yeah, the uh, Lake Mead, which uh, you know is, is basically the reservoir that su- supplies the water to the city, is getting lower and lower and lower. Mm-hmm. And you know they've done all the recommended, um, you know, cutbacks. Mm-hmm. And it's just getting worse. So they have passed a law, and um, you know this excluded our functional turfs, athletic fields, cemeteries, you know, etc. But you know, just big swaths of grass in a housing development gotta go. Okay. Now, speaking of gotta go, this is a problem uh, for the pet owners. They are saying, where am I going to walk my dog? Right. And so there is some discussion about whether, you know, um, well, the answer, I know you know, the answer to the question. pet uh, relief turf yeah. should be allowed, whether that can be uh, functional or not. But uh, they're still kind of uh, fighting about that. Well, they can walk the dog in the cemeteries, I guess. That's, that's, that's their chance. Not everybody has a cemetery right next door. Oh, that that is know. a problem. Um, so, uh, um, you know, it's an issue. A stark situation, they're saying. I'm making light of it, but it really is... Uh, well, they're telling people to tear up their lawns. Um, that's something. That is something. Yeah. Yeah, we see a little bit that in uh, Ventura with Zeke. You see some pretty dried out lawns. Yeah. it's And it is all about the just, you know, watering the lawns. Yeah. The, the water that's used in that situation just disappears, just mm-hmm. evaporates. Water mm-hmm. that you use in your house... Etc. can it will be can be recycled mm-hmm. and reused. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a, a, you know kind of a loss. Mm-hmm. Hard to talk about this when we have such a deluge. Yes, it's been raining every day this weekend. It's crazy. But That's true. All right. So uh, I know you want to get back to sports, uh, and I know you thought that the 
Kentucky Derby was the upset of upsets, once in a lifetime, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Except just uh, so it is good to watch the Kentucky Derby with you. Why? Because you did set us up a little bit and, and tell us which horses to watch. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just a little bit of information there, you know, kind of helps you yeah. get engaged. Well, I, I got that. Otherwise, you just say, watching the horses go around and, oh, I, okay, that one's first. I got that information from my brother Michael. Otherwise, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known. I, I think that enhances it. All right. Good. Good. He helped so us don't out. don't forget to call him before the Preakness. Uh, yeah. Maybe I will. Uh, yeah, that horse is not winning the Preakness. Um, but, uh, so that was, you know, the super upset. That was on Saturday. But on Thursday, the Mets uh, had a huge comeback. A Talk huge about comeback. upsets. Well, here's the funny thing. The Mets were down 7-1 to in a game I was hardly paying attention to. I happened to be in New York, vaguely monitoring the game, taking the train home, and I saw they're getting blown out. And then, uh, for whatever reasons, I was driving from from the station at like 9 or 10 o'clock at night. I switch on the station. You know, I get the scratchy reception from the New York station, blah, blah. And they start getting a few hits in the ninth inning. And notwithstanding a 7-1 deficit, they have a seven-run rally and win the game 8-7 to in the ninth inning. Now, you know, big deal for the Mets, sad day for the Phillies. But you might say to yourself, wow, how does that upset compare with the... Uh, Kentucky Derby. Would you like to guess which is the bigger upset? Um, I think the Met thing is the bigger upset because you said that the Derby thing hadn't happened since 1913 and the guys on the TV kept saying this has never happened. Well, okay. About the baseball. Let me clean that up a little bit. Uh, It happened in 2019 was the last time it happened. So I wouldn't say... 2019? Yeah. Just a few years ago. But, but, and yet... So it's not exciting No, no, no. And yet, the, the Met thing was the longer shot. The Met thing was 10 times as unlikely as the Derby. The Derby was um, 81. This was like 800 to 1. It might even have been more than 800 to 1. And there are ways to measure it. I'm not going to bore you with math. But let me say this. Yes, it happened in 2019. But since that time, there have been... I'm I'm not worrying about precise numbers here. There have been approximately 800 instances since uh, when it last happened in 2019, in which a team found itself down by that much in the ninth inning, in which they couldn't surmount it. They couldn't tie it. 800-plus games. This situation occurred 800-plus times, and the team that was losing never made a comeback. So now the Mets make a comeback. It's like 800 to 1. It doesn't happen. So there's just many more games. And the last time it happened, it was against the Mets? Well, here's the... How did you know that? Because there was... There were a series of games where the Mets would always, at the end, be ahead, and you would be sighing, breathing a sigh of relief, and then the, the team that playing would fight their way back. Well, and that's win. funny that you would it know. It happened that. again and that's, again. That's and totally again. impressionistic, but in fact, believe it or not, you're right. When this happened in 2019, it was a game that the Mets lost to the Washington baseball team, the Washington Nationals, and. Um, Here's what's funny about it. Number one is, uh, it's funny that you got that. I can't believe it. But what's funny is this. Number one, Edwin Diaz pitched the ninth inning in both games. In other words, he was he saved the game for the Mets here. You saw him do that. Yes. He was the loser in the game against the Washington in 2019. Well, he learned his lessons. He learned his lessons. But here's the funny thing. Um, the starting pitchers of that game in 2019 mm-hmm. were Max Scherzer, 
Who? Playing for the other team. Playing for the Mets. Playing for Washington. Yeah. And Jacob DeGrom. Ha! Is that unbelievable? Now, you're saying to yourself, how could you have this information? And the answer is, it was dug up by our cub reporter, Harry Zerlin, <laughs> who is beating the bushes for, as I can tell, little or no compensation to give us information that nobody else has. I, in other words, I did not get this in the newspaper or from any radio report. You couldn't get it anywhere else. Only Harry Zerlin knew this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now everyone listening to the podcast. Well, he's probably Facebook friends with Max Scherzer's mother or something. And that must be it. But if he talked to you, we would have gotten it right away because you knew it was the Mets because you follow the Mets. Always losing. Yes. All right. Go ahead. Tell your story about... uh, Well, you know, it's been a while since we had any... uh, You know, we used to have some good um, bird sex stories. And, uh, you know, I think the reporting in the Times has just uh, dwindled. Yeah. In the science area, I'll say we had because bird I haven't seen anything about yeah. anything about birds lately. Uh, but uh, I, what I what does this have to do with birds? This we don't have any bird sex, but I'm glad to say we have a little bit of fish sex. Yeah, but wait, wait, this is wait. you didn't read the whole article. Oh, okay. You did not read the whole article. Oh, okay? wait a second. Are we talking about dolphins now? Yes. Or? All right, go ahead. Fish. Yeah. Dolphin. I know they're mammals. Okay. Yes. Whatever. That's what's throwing me. All right. So let me see. Uh, I... You think there's sex involved here? I, I I saw that speculation. I don't credit it. Yeah. I just... Um, I, oh, my notes have escaped me. But anyway, I'll tell you what's going on. Um, in uh, Bolivia, um, a research team spotted some river dolphins. Yeah. Okay. Which are... It's hard to even see river dolphins, okay? We know a lot about ocean dolphins, but river dolphins, not so much. And uh, they're very excited, this research team, and uh, they see the dolphins, and uh, they're shooting, you know, pictures, etc., and they're noticing that the dolphins are playing with something, okay? And there's about six dolphins, but uh, two are kind of leading the charge, and it turns out they're playing with this giant anaconda. Yeah, a snake. The anaconda, yeah. a snake, is not really engaging. It yeah. seems rather limp, uh-huh. okay? Um, so the speculation is it was, uh, you know, dying or dead uh-huh. when really? they find it. Oh, they that's... found it. They all, they're also thinking that uh, dolphins are not generally looking to eat anacondas. No, and think. anacondas are really strong. Um, and they're also an apex predator or something which I assume means they eat everybody else, no one eats them. Oh, right. Kind of, no one's uh, going for them. I don't know. That's a Harry Zerlin question. But um, anyway, uh, one of the interesting things about it is they notice in taking the pictures that the two uh, dolphins, um, uh, the penises of the dolphins oh, were really? erect oh, during the play. Really? And so there's all kinds of speculation. Well, why were they... You rubbing up against the uh, anaconda, or did they just uh, the game itself excite them? Mm. You know, they don't really, they don't know well, enough no about these river dolphins yeah, yeah, right. uh, to know. Right. Uh, but it's quite fascinating. And there were so there were these other juvenile dolphins, younger dolphins, kind of bopping about, watching what was going on. And so the question is, was this instructional? Were you know were the the male dolphins trying to say this is how you catch an anaconda, or was this just you know, or, or were they just interested and amused and entertained by all this? So um, you know, we'll have to see what kind of important revelations yeah. uh, in the world of nature come from this. All right, great. 
Um, uh, all right. So yeah. there, there was an article. Match that. Yeah. Well, there was an article about uh, Bosch, one of our favorite series, Bosch. Uh, Bosch being a hard-boiled cop. Uh, and we watched uh, a number of seasons of that. And uh, he is, uh, as described in the article, is an L.A. cop. I wear a cap in L.A. that says Bosch on it, although I didn't get it from anything having to do with a television program. And uh, he is, as they like to call it, a cop's cop or a hard-boiled cop's hard-boiled cop. Um, and uh, he's a crotchety, self-righteous, quick to anger, but also loyal, compassionate, and soulful. He's the whole hard-boiled package. And he smokes a cigarette. And he smokes a cigarette. But did and he, he drinks, what does he drink? Oh, uh, he, fat tire. Okay. Fat tire. That's the beer he drinks. Uh, and, uh, as they say in the article, depending on your preference, he's either a doddering throwback or an oasis of old school rationality and calm. And to the Times credit, they say, uh, well, if you're keeping score, we're going with Oasis. So, you know, it's a great series. In any event, they've changed the series a little bit and they're now back for an eighth season. I thought they had stopped at six. We may have stopped at six. We have to pick it up. I'm telling you right now. And uh, he, he goes from being a cop to uh, a private eye. But mostly I'm just telling you we got to get back to it. As the, the, well, the, the, there, there is a chance you're going to get back to it on your own. Oh, no, no. Because you're... I just, you know what? I just got tired of it. I what? thought it was what? repetitive. And if you love the, I understand if you love the character, you want to see more of it, that's fine. But it just, uh, you know, I found myself kind of twiddling my thumbs waiting for the usual denouement. Oh, really? Well, in any event, uh, the Times, this is no less of an authority than the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically credits Oliver, the, the title character, with a subtle, emotionally potent performance. Whatever the title of the series, whether it's Bosch or Bosch Legacy in this case, he's the real thing. Okay. All right. All right. So, all right. You're not, I'm not so winning you So for the other over. old crotchety people in the audience, uh, this could be the show for you. All right. Fortunately, so, Cindy Wilson dropped by and gave us some tips about what she, the show yes, she remind me what Cindy uh, had to Cindy do. recommended CB Strike okay yeah. so that's also a detective type uh, show private right. detective right, right? based on show based on books written by JK Rawlings using the pen name Robert Galbraith all right so Rawlings, Rawlings is the um, Harry Potter right. author and I well, we saw the first it, episode, and it was good. I would say that, uh, let, me, let me come to this description again, that the main guy is sort of a crotchety, self-righteous, and quick-to-anger guy. You know, you know. It's just, I it's, don't know about that. <laughs> first of all, he's he, a lot younger than Bosch. He's the real thing. Yeah, and, okay. Uh, yeah, second of all, it's British, so it's all, we like you know, that. much more fun. All right, it'll look um, good. Look and good. he's... Uh, He's a war veteran, right? Yeah. He's, he's and got he's lost a leg. Lost a leg in Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, it, it seems pretty interesting. It is pretty interesting. At the other end of the spectrum, she recommended a series about a restaurateur called A Chef's Life. And it's the story of Vivian Howard and uh, her restaurant, uh, Chef and the Farmer, uh, down in North Carolina. Uh She's uh, her father's a big farmer, tobacco, mm-hmm. uh, many things, big mm-hmm. time, you know, pork production, right. etc. And uh, she goes to New York, gets a fancy schmancy job 
uh, quits it almost immediately, goes to culinary school, starts a, a little um, catering business with her husband, and uh, actually, you know, has the possibility to um, get backing and start a restaurant in New York. But uh, her daddy and mammy, mommy, um, entice her back to uh, North Carolina to open a restaurant in the middle of nowhere. Right, right. And she's doing pretty fancy food. Yeah. And she's doing the whole farm-to-table thing. And so we've watched one episode, and already her first restaurant has burned down. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's a combination of two things. Maybe we'll give a report on it after we see more episodes. But it's like, like two things going on. One is, you know, she's an engaging personality. She clearly has uh, a lot to contribute and say about food and food preparation and and quality of food, and it's interesting hearing her talk about that. Uh, and the other half of it is her restaurant and the development of that and how it might appeal and how it might succeed. And the, the restaurant, financially, economically, is a laughable proposition. There's no way that to have her come down to that part of the area which for the world, which she and they point out is not a prosperous area, quite the contrary. Yeah. And she's taking local ingredients and doing them in a fancy way and trying to charge people $30 a meal or something like that, that is such a total non-starter. It's almost laughable. But she's got the TV. It's a TV show. And uh, I guess that makes it go economically. So uh, right. we'll so see. They've been filming her yeah. progress yeah. Since, since the get-go. Yeah. Uh, but she, you know, she has uh, quite a few restaurants now. Yeah. And uh, she's just opened a couple in uh, right. Charleston. Uh, listen. I it, she's... Her subsequent restaurants have been in more likely um, places with higher places with higher right. traffic. There's no I, question I, she could succeed in Charleston, but uh, but here, you know, it's like when you open your food store here and the food shop in the Cranberry, and uh, you know the kind of stuff that people in New York City were getting excited about, like home baked pies and stuff. The people in Cranberry were saying, "Oh yeah, I can make a pie. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to buy that. Pie. Why would I pay? For why would I pay for that pie?" Uh, so she's got, the and same she time. also, uh, you know, we didn't uh, look into this yet. Yeah. But she, we said, "What are you watching?" She said, "Well, I just watched for the second time." This is Cindy. The, yeah, Cindy Wilson. Yeah. The show, um, the documentary about uh, E.O. Wilson, mm-hmm. the Ant Guy, the mm-hmm. Ant Man. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, it's a little curious that she's watched it twice. I I quickly googled it. It seems to be about two hours long. Yeah. So um, we'll break it up. That's now. a long time to watch a show on ants. An ant, a show yeah. on ants. Yes. Well, uh, although, although Harry Zerlin, as he listens to this, will say, well, "What are you talking about? How is that a long time yeah. to talk about bugs?" Um, so um, anyway, so maybe E.O. Wilson uh, would be an interesting thing to watch yeah. as well. Okay. Well, yeah. we'll we'll tell you. We'll report. Okay, and then uh, finally, kind of a fun uh, story. Uh, for thirty four ninety nine, the deal of the century, actually 20 centuries, uh, in the New York Times. And that is the story of Laura Young, who was at the Goodwill store and came across a slightly busted up bust. Uh, you know, the head of a marble head. Uh, Clearly looking rather old mm-hmm. uh, in in a few pieces with a few chips. And uh, she took a look at it. It's at $34.99. Looked really old. Uh, and she bought it. And she found out it is really old. It's a real Roman bust. 
it might be a bust of Pompey, like Pompey the Great, mm-hmm. like uh, you know Caesar's buddy, you know Crassus, Pompey, and C- the Triumvirate. I'll take your word for it. And it yeah. So, I mean, famous general, famous mm-hmm. uh, and statesman, okay. Or it could be Claudius Drusus Germanicus. I got to say, I did, you know, Google a few uh, pictures of uh, Pompey. It looks a lot like Pompey. Mm. Could be Pompey. But here's the problem. All right. Um, they, they found out that it had been owned, it had been originally, well, owned in the 19th century by Ludwig I, a Bavarian king who had it in his, you know, he had a recreated um, uh, Pompeian villa, Roman villa, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Schaffenburg, Germany, which was heavily bombed during World War II. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have a lot of stories about the Nazis uh, looting artworks during that period, but because this ended up in Texas. Uh, probably an American uh, put it in his backpack ah, and right. uh, brought it home. So it is going to be repatriated. It is going to go back to Germany. Meanwhile, it's uh, it's already being uh, displayed in uh, San Antonio Museum. They did, however, give Laura a um, 3D printed model of the piece. Mm-hmm. For her to keep in her living room. So she has a little memento. Okay. Um, and uh, she's a little bit sad. Uh, it's it's a little bit hard. She said. Because this was going to be the coolest thing I would ever find. And it's over. So she couldn't. You know, well, it's still it, the coolest it, it's thing. It's kind of. You know. If you're a, um, a junk picker. Yeah. You know. You're kind of an antique uh, picker or whatever. You're kind of dreaming of finding well, that she, she amazing it. piece in Goodwill well, she did. That, that you can sell for millions. Well, Your they, ship has come did in. Did they talk about the, the value? Or, or is that not worth I, talking I think about? the value is tricky. Uh, they don't really talk about the value. They intimated that it could be worth zillions. But, you know, you've, not, you've watched enough Antique Roadshow to know that the really old, cool stuff is yeah. not worth nearly as much as a Basquiat. Yeah. Or something. So, right. um, you know, who knows? But nonetheless, uh, she said, but there's always someone, something else to find. Yeah, I was just going to say it's not worth as much as a first edition Batman comic or something, but uh, it's worth something. Uh, yeah, well, too bad for her, but she did the right thing. Did the right thing, right? All right, so that's all we've got. Okay, well, that's good. So I thought this was an exceptional podcast given that we did not have the benefit of Pepper singing in the background the entire yeah. time. Yeah, that's a loss. That's a, we'll have to have to do something. We'll have to about remedy that. that in some way. Meanwhile, this is Tamson Granger and Dan Appuhop with Tamson and Dan read the paper, and uh, as Pepper would say, "We'll be back." We'll be back. <laughs>